0: Hello, welcome to episode nineteen of the Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan, and joining me from the lovely confines of Middletown, Connecticut, David Dixon. David, what up?
1: What's going on, Kelly? It's a beautiful spring day here at Wesley, and spring has finally come, and we're just uh, just enjoying the weather.
0: Seventy-five and sunny here in Jersey, so I can't complain. Uh, we're also joined today by a third party, my cousin, an assistant football coach at Davidson
2: College Jeff McDaniels thanks for joining us Jeff how are you doing I'm good I'm I'm excited I I appreciate you guys having me on I'm I'm looking forward to getting real nerdy in some of this football conversation today
0: yeah we're looking forward to it we're gonna hit on all things NFL draft so fellas it pretty much the draft certainly starts with the Cardinals on the clock and and since Cliff Kingsbury took over it Seems that it's kind of been a foregone conclusion that Kyler Murray is is destined for the desert. But recently, Pete Prisco, I'm not sure how much credibility this man has, but he was reporting that he doesn't think Kyler is going to be chosen by Arizona. Do do you guys, David, we'll start with you. Do you feel Kyler is a lock to go one? And and if not, what do you think the Cardinals do in the top spot?
1: I think it would be a bit of a stretch two days out to call it a lock for number one, mainly because I don't think Kyler Murray is the best player available in the draft. And when you look at the Cardinals roster, they're so weak on so many at at so many different positions that stretching to take a quarterback when they already took Josh Rosen last year, it's just setting them up to be picking in the top five again next year. They just need to draft a really good defensive player at the top of the draft because that's who the best prospects are this year. So if I had to bet on it right now, I would probably say that they would take Joey, Bo- uh, Nick Bosa. I've done that twice now. Nick Bosa, because uh, he's he's the best prospect. I think all his injury concerns are handled, and I just don't see how Murray helps them because then they have to trade Rosen, you know, when Bosa can come in, play from day one, and, and be a foundational building piece to help make the roster better.
2: I, I would say that, you know, I think that Cliff coming in and, and getting a job that— People might not have expected him to get. I think they're going to look at it and say we're going kind of all in on Cliff Kingsbury and what he does offensively. And so I think it's really going to come down to who who is he comfortable really betting his uh, NFL coaching career on? And you know you would you just kind of look at some of the quarterbacks that, that Cliff's had at the college level. You know, starting back with Case Keenum and and you know Baker for a little bit, Patrick Mahomes. It looks like Kyler Murray would be a, a good fit, but it is, I mean, you want to talk about a, a short short quarterback getting picked high, and now we're talking about him maybe going number one overall, uh, but, you know, I think if, if Cliff's sitting there and says, hey, you know, we're going to build this thing my way, then it's going to have to be, you know, if he wants Kyler, take Kyler, and Josh, the Josh Rosen stuff was a previous head coach and, you know, but they, they are in a really tough situation because uh, is really, really good and, and they could get an elite player there. But man, if if the guy of your offensive dreams is sitting there, it'd be tough for Cliff not to kind of jump all over Kyler.
0: David, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think I wouldn't take Kyler Murray just because Josh Rosen, you'd pick them. I mean, he, the kids played in like 12 games and you're already going to punt after you traded up to get him in the draft the the circumstances for Rosen last year were terrible. Like you mentioned, his the the pieces around him offensively and defensively are putrid. And I mean, they they had six offensive linemen go on IR last year, so he's he's playing behind practice squad guys and we're we're trying to make an accurate evaluation on on Josh Rosen as a quarterback. And and at this point, I mean, if you were to trade him just based on what he did last year, you're probably getting 30 cents on the dollar. They're talking like the 95th overall pick in the third round straight up for Josh Rosen. That just, that doesn't seem fair to me. So I would probably go Nick Bosa as well. I think Kyler Murray, I mean, we we can kind of talk about him if if you guys want, but I think he's going to be a stud. We just saw Russell Wilson um, secure the bag, as they say. And I think, I think Kyler Murray is, is a very similar player. And that's, that's definitely an easy comparison But we saw Baker Mayfield come out of Oklahoma last year. And I mean, Baker and Kyler are not the same player, but they're both undersized. So I I think a lot has been made of of Kyler Murray's size or lack thereof. And I'm not really sure that's an issue. But Jeff, you kind of you spoke to Kingsbury and Kyler's fit in that offense To me, it it looks like what Cliff Kingsbury is trying to do and what he did at Texas Tech, that Kyler Murray is like the prototype that if, you know, if he could build a quarterback in a lab, the result would be Kyler Murray. So I'm not sure they can pass on that. What do you what do you think about? I mean, you kind of spoke to it, but how do you feel Kyler fits with Cliff? And, you know, if he were to be chosen, number one as we kind of all expect to be the case, how, how would you see that fit evolving and how would you see Kyler doing out in Arizona?
2: I think that's an, an interesting question because you look at some of the quarterbacks that, that Cliff's had and he's never had a true dual threat quarterback uh, for, for an extended amount of time. I mean, he had uh, he had Johnny Manziel uh, for a year at, at A&M and you know, Patrick Mahomes is, is mobile, but not a run first guy. But at the same time, Kingsbury's never had a pocket passer like a Josh Rosen so the fit actually probably isn't exactly perfect I don't know if I don't know if Cliff would you know want more of a Baker Mayfield who can throw the ball a little bit more or uh, Kyler that can can run around but I think his offense is all about uh, you know getting the ball out of your hands quickly and really playing Uh, basketball on grass is essentially how Cliff uh, has described the offense in the past. And, you know, there, there's not a a ton of, um, You know, similarities between what Cliff does and what anybody else in the NFL does. So, you know, you get a a guy that is instinctful, plays with a lot of instincts and things like that. It might make up for not playing in an offense uh, that's known for being super complex. And I think that, you know, you hit on the offensive line struggles. I think Russell Wilson does a really good job of maybe sometimes hiding some of the offensive line deficiencies. So, as you're starting to put pieces around Kyler, his legs can make up for you know not having a lot of young talent at some of the uh, offensive skill positions outside, and then you can draft around him. You know his his teammate uh, Hollywood Brown might be on the board there in the second round, and you can start to put pieces around him. But the fit'll be interesting, just because Cliff's never had somebody just like Kyler. I mean, a super athlete with a big arm, uh, but it would be exciting picturing Kyler in. Uh, in Cliff Kingsbury's
1: offense. I got a question for, for both of you. Is Cliff Kingsbury a good coach? Like, I just keep hearing about, oh, we're going to get, get Murray. In.
0: I think he's a good offensive coach, but I'm not sure if... I mean, I think if they would have hired him as solely the offensive coordinator as he was supposed to be at USC... I mean, at the college level, he's definitely head coach, but in the NFL, I think throwing him, throwing his feet right into the fire and giving him full reign... I I would have advised against that. I think he's a genius offensive mastermind, but I'm not sure I would have taken the plunge, especially given the fact he had a losing record at Texas Tech last season.
1: Yeah. How can you be a genius mastermind and go 35 and 40 in your head coaching career? Like a genius mastermind, you should be well over 500.
0: A a lot of it, I'm going to be honest, is the looks and the fact that he resembles Sean McVay. I don't think there's a doubt in my mind That just the the pure resemblance and the fact that he looks like this young offensive savant I mean he is an offensive savant but that doesn't necessarily translate into wins at the NFL level but Sean McVay's success certainly didn't hurt his cause
2: and I think it's just like I mean Matt Matt LaFleur is is another one of the younger offensive guru types I think it's tough because you you know you talked about his 35 and, and 40 record David but he was at a school that has to compete against University of Texas and A& in, in Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, and teams that have established programs, so sometimes it's tough to maybe recruit against those five stars and those four stars and you know out, out in Lubbock. I know that's what everybody would kind of say you know as a reason for some of the record. Um, but yeah, he's got he's got a lot to prove. That's that's for sure. He's going to have probably the biggest uh, bullseye on his back of, of any head coach in the in the NFL this year.
1: And I'll say, Kelly, to your Sean McVay point, you could argue one of the reasons why McVay was so successful with the Rams is that they had a guy like Aaron Donald. Like they have the defensive player of the year. That the roster is just way better than this Cardinals team. So. It's just way easier. I don't think golf is that good. So it's way easier to make a mediocre to slightly above average quarterback look really good in your offensive system when you have exceptional talent all around him. And the Cardinals don't. And I just feel like it would be a mistake to reach at a quarterback position rather than at reach at one for the quarterback instead of building your roster with elite players uh, at a lot of positions. I'm kind of wondering if the Cardinals will trade down. The Raiders need a quarterback. A lot of other teams need a quarterback. Our Giants need a quarterback. What do you guys think about, do you think the Cardinals would trade down and let someone else take Kyler Murray who really wants him?
2: I think that all depends on if Cliff's sitting there with with the GM and and with the owner at Arizona, if they feel like they need a quarterback, then even if they were to get a lot of value with the trade down, I think you've got to get – a quarterback. And so I think it's all gonna be up to Cliff. If Cliff thinks that this guy's his his deal, then uh you know he's gonna probably bet his his future on it. I'm sure there's some teams that would like to trade up, whether it's Robosa or Quinn Williams and you know, some of those, the Devin Whites and stuff, but I don't know if one of those guys would merit trading up to number one to get. That'll be kind of the the hot rumor the next couple of days. Let's just wrap
0: with the Cardinals on this. Josh Rosen, if we're doing a redraft of last year's quarterback class, Baker's definitely going number one. At the time, I was a little shocked he went one, but seeing what he did last year, he's he's got it. He's got the total package. And then honestly, for me, Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen are kind of at the same level in my eyes. I think Josh Rosen's situation was terrible. And then a tier below that, you got Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson but are you two? Are you selling Josh Rosen's stock, or if you're a team like the Chargers or the Giants or some of these teams linked to possibly trading a, you know, second or third round pick for Josh Rosen? Are are you making that deal? Because from my perspective, given the structure of his contract, he's only going to be getting paid two million a year each of the next three years. So that is a bargain for a backup quarterback, let alone a backup quarterback that has such a high ceiling and could potentially be your franchise guy for the next decade plus. So if I can trade Josh Rosen for a second or third round pick, I'm doing that deal yesterday.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough because you start to kind of read about some of the stories of some of these quarterbacks. If Josh Rosen were to play this year for Arizona, this would be his sixth offensive coordinator, starting from the time when he got to UCLA. I mean that's that's really tough on on any quarterback. I mean you want to talk about trying to learn all the intricacies of, you know, every little audible, hot route, the protections, uh, all of those kind of things and Josh has to continue to learn it, has continued to show that he's got some ability and then last year he's put into a situation where they lose David Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald's their best receiver, but he's, you know, pushing the back end of of his career. So, I mean, yeah, Kelly, I think you hit it. If you're a team that if you could somehow get him for a third-round pick, and you're paying him less than two million a year to be your starter, there's the blueprint that the Seahawks had and that the Cowboys had. Uh, you know, so I think it's really tough to tell what Josh Rosen's ceiling is, just because he's having to learn a new offense every nine months. So uh, I think somebody, you know, you, you put him in the right system. Yeah, I mean, you put him in the right system with a, you know, with an established coordinator or something like that. At least then you get a really good idea you give him give him a year to see what he's got but so his his potential is i don't know how you can tell what his potential is so far
1: i think that smart teams and i'll put a disclaimer there aren't that many of them but the really smart teams will judge rosen this year and compare him to the other quarterbacks in this draft and give him a grade for this year almost imagining that he's getting redrafted this year as kelly said like he's coming out And whatever grade they put on him, so if some team says, hey, he's a first-round talent in this year's draft, and we could get him, and we rate him higher than Murray and Drew Locke and the kid from Duke, and we could get him for a third-round pick, every smart team will say, this is just incredible value, and we'll try and go and get him, even if they already have an established quarterback. I mean, it seems like he's going to go to the Patriots. That's just like the smartest team. They're going to, you know, Brady is... 41 42 even if he plays till he's 45 like he says you have rosen for those three years not hurting the cap learning under the best quarterback and then rosen if he has to come in if brady ever gets hurt for a couple games they got a huge pick for garoppolo like He's just, a, he's just a huge asset for any team. And I, it would be interesting to see how teams value him going into the draft.
0: Totally. And the Patriots just seem like they're lurking in the weeds. And everyone else is offering their second and third round pick. And it would totally be something Belichick would do to just toss in that 31st pick back of the first round. A nice little sweetener for Arizona. And Jeff, like you mentioned, they could go Kyler at one and then take Hollywood Brown at 31. And then all of a sudden, that offense has a little bit of swag to it.
2: Yeah, I mean it could it could uh, I mean it's kind of like uh you know how fast the Cleveland Browns have kind of redone everything now that was through some free agency and trades but yeah I mean you get David Johnson back you have Larry Fitzgerald you know kind of being the coach on the field and then you add you know Hollywood Brown you add uh, another running back to take some up, some off of David Johnson well now that offense just that offense just drastically changed really really fast so but yeah like like you mentioned some, one of these teams it's got a lot of picks the Patriots they don't have enough spots on their roster for, you know, they've got 12 draft picks this year. And, you know, some of those teams that have so many picks, I guess, what would the the negative be of giving Josh a chance in one of those systems?
0: That's the thing. I don't think there is a downside. When you factor in his salary, you factor in his talent. I I don't think that's disputable. It's just he wasn't in the best situation last year in Arizona. So there is a team that's going to decide to, throw out a second or a third round pick and they're going to get Josh Rosen. And in my opinion, I think they're going to get a high level starting quarterback for a decade plus. But so let's kind of transition into some guys in this draft class that we feel are either over or underrated. I'll kick this off. The first guy who I want to talk about, who I think is getting a little overhyped, maybe because he looks like Mr. Olympia. Uh, that's DK Metcalf. He's three. 228 with 1.6% body fat. He plays the wide receiver position, which in this draft has a ton of depth. We spoke about Hollywood Brown earlier. Nikhil Carey's another guy. Paris Campbell, another from Ohio State who just he's got absolute burners. But I look across the board over the past couple years and I see more guys than not who impress at the combine, particularly at the wide receiver position, who then, once they make it to the NFL, they kind of fizz out. You look at Corey Davis and Mike Williams and John Ross, and I mean, I guess the jury's still out on a lot of these guys. Even even Laquan Treadwell going back. I mean, here's a guy, you want to go apples to apples. He's a wide receiver at Ole Miss, just like DK Metcalf, impresses at the combine, works his way into the first round, gets drafted by the Vikings, plays his rookie season and doesn't even catch a single pass. And he was healthy. So, you know, Metcalf over the course of his college career, here are his numbers. 67 catches, just over 1200 yards and 14 touchdowns. Like granted, he was injured a decent amount, but that's part of the deal, man. If he's injured, that's on him. And he played with Shea Patterson. He played with some other good quarterbacks. You know, what, what do you guys just, what do you make of Guys like Metcalf, who have limited production in college, but go to the combine and absolutely mesmerize scouts with their athleticism.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I always have a little hesitation towards those players who excel in the underwear Olympics. That is the NFL Combine. We've talked about this before when we gave our takes. It's just he tests great, and it's the and it's the wow factor that that really gets people. It's you get awed by the potential of what he could be instead of noticing what he is on the field. And the amazing thing is is that for guys like that, it's when you go to the highlight shows and things to talk about, it's boring to talk about the guys who have the or to talk about the defensive players who excel in the three point stance and dominate through the gaps or through the A gap or the B gap or all the crazy football terms that the average fan doesn't understand, but anyone can can see that the dude can run a 40 in 4.3 seconds like everyone knows that that's incredible and so it's just easy to hype that up on just the on all the talk shows and with the 24 7 coverage of this of this draft it's those are the guys you talk about because those are the the, the types of stats that people understand and i don't really like it i don't think he would, he'll be that good i think it's you know the same thing i talked about before there aren't that many smart teams and i'm sure the smart teams won't take them It'll be one of the teams that gets captivated by the fact that he has a one point six percent body fat, and they that then they somehow think that that's going to help him play football.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's tough. We see it in the you know the college level. You're trying to figure out you know a, a recruit that runs well as opposed to what he's done on film, and you've got to have some kind of balance there. You know, and, and there's some teams that get infatuated by just the numbers, and then there's other teams that you know go off of on film production and yeah, he jumps off the screen and, and all of those things, but how many, you know, Darius Hayward Bay is a name that jumps into mind as a guy that lit the combine up and then, you know, didn't make, didn't have the career that maybe some anticipated him having. So I think that when it comes to the receiver's, you know, at least from a coaching standpoint, you'd probably rather have a guy that's a better route runner and better hands more so than somebody that can just run run. And I think this this draft is is pretty deep at the you know receiver position to spend a high pick on uh, on him could make you nervous unless you think he is a, a no brainer number one, but he's sure. Yeah. I mean, the picture has gone viral and all those kind of things, but you know, you mentioned, is he, is he a little stiff, you know? And and nowadays when you're trying to get guys in space, is he going to be able to thrive in some of those situations? I guess that's kind of up for debate, but he's, yeah, he's definitely, there's, there's a good reason why you started with him as, you know, somebody that is, is a, you know, a freak in the, in the underwear Olympics.
0: Yeah. And Jeff, is there anyone else that comes to mind for you that you feel as being a little overrated in the NFL draft community? If it's, you know, what Mel Kuyper Jr. or Todd McShay saying or anyone else for that matter, is there anyone who stands out to you as someone who's being a little overvalued?
2: Um, That's a good question. I guess you could kind of look at both uh, DJ Metcalf and his teammate, AJ Brown. You know, those are two guys that everybody talks quite a bit, but then, you know, how, how did – how did their career stack up against, you know, some of some of the other guys that are eligible? Uh, you know, I think that receiver position is really hard because, you know, there's a difference between a highlight film receiver and a guy that does it week in, week out. And, you know, you just get a little nervous if you didn't hear much from a guy from September to November, and then you start to hear a lot about him now. Sometimes that's a little, that's a scary situation to be in. So there's, yeah, I mean, the, the, those two jump out. And, you know, from the way people talk about the two guys from Ole Miss, you would have thought they, throw, they threw for, you know, 5,000 yards this year and those two just kept having, you know, 80-yard touchdowns when uh, they had good good seasons. But, you know, to now talk about both of them being first-round picks is interesting to say the least.
1: Yeah, Kelly, my, my guy who I think everyone is – little overrated on is Rashawn gary from michigan he's kind of that that same model of an athletic freak and guys are all these analysts are highlighting just his incredible athleticism but he just wasn't that productive and it just makes you really wonder if he's not that productive in the big 10 how is that going to work in the afc north you know And it's just this question of guys who look great in the measurables and what they could be versus what they are on film. And obviously, a lot of these guys are 18, 19, 20 years old. You're projecting what they'll be at 24, 25. But I just have a hard time for these teams that they they draft solely on potential that you got to take production at, at a certain point into it and highly productive guys like Ed Oliver or quinn and williams from from alabama are guys who i think are just underrated because even though that they're being touted as top 10 picks i think that they are just so much better than what people are are saying that teams should bypass positions of that they don't need it as much like these guys are just exceptional prospects just take the best player available though the teams that go with that method usually are the ones that are deep in the playoffs
0: Yeah, that's a good point, David. And Rashawn Gary, as you mentioned, he's an interesting one. He, I mean, to say his production in college was limited, that'd probably be a kind way of putting it. I want to be careful because he lives in Scotch Plains, which is the, the neighboring town to the one in which I live. But in three years at Michigan, he had nine and a half sacks. So for a premium pass rusher, that's, you know, that's not getting it done. And, you know, he might play a premium position, but that doesn't necessarily make him a premium player, despite the fact that he was the number one overall recruit coming out of high school. The guy who I'm kind of interested in in talking about, because I think if you were to give Jim Harbaugh a truth serum and said, Who was the most important player on your defense in Ann Arbor the past few seasons on a defense that had Rashawn Gary, on a defense that had Devin Bush, who's likely going to be a top ten pick at the linebacker position, the guy who I think's fallen under the radar a little bit is, is Chase Winovich. He, for the past three years, he started for for the Wolverines and he had 43 tackles for a loss and 18 and a half sacks. And I'm not sure if it was his long hair, long blonde uh, wavy hair hanging out the the back of the helmet, but every time I would I would watch Michigan play, this guy was all over the field making plays. And it's probably a lazy comparison to say he reminds me a little bit of Clay Matthews. But I mean, with that hair and with the energy he plays with, and he's just kind of all over the field, I think Chase Winovich uh, out of Michigan is a guy that, that people are sleeping on a little bit.
2: And I think that, I guess, my underrated guy are guys that might not be as high in the draft community. And, and I got a chance to watch a little bit of his film, but uh, there's a corner from LSU, Greedy Williams, uh, had a phenomenal combine and you know kind of looking at at some of his things he's a hair under six foot two he was a four three seven guy but the big knock on him as a corner, and it's kind of a, a little funny that people ding him so much, but he 's not great in some of the run game stuff. Well, if, if your corner's having to to help you out in the run game, then something probably isn't great for you to start with. so I mean, you want to talk about a big a big long defensive back from you know one of the one of the schools that has a track record of producing high level Defensive backs, and obviously, right? I coach the defensive backs, so it was gonna. This was an easy answer for me as a, a kind of an under the radar guy. But six two, and you run four three seven, and you've played for quite a while at, at LSU. I mean, that's pretty good. And if the biggest knock on you is, yeah, he sometimes turns down some contact. I think there's a lot of NFL defensive back coaches that would want to have to have that problem to coach.
1: For sure, and the, the defensive back position is just growing in importance for all these NFL teams. You read a lot, a lot about these teams that want to build their defense instead of from the front back, almost now from the, the secondary forward just because as passing has become such an important part of the game. There's there's two teams that, that I want to highlight that intrigue me the most. The first one is the Green Bay Packers, who have disappointed the last few seasons. They have Aaron Rodgers, who is just maybe one of the four or five best quarterbacks ever due to talent and they haven't really excelled they haven't gotten deep in the playoffs they've obviously won one super bowl but having a new coach coming in this year i really want to see what they do in the draft this is kind of the foundation of where this team is going to go moving forward and i think they could go in a lot of different directions because they're another team that just has a lot of holes And they just need a lot of talent, and they're lucky enough that they have the quarterback position figured out. And the second team is a team without a quarterback figured out, and that's me and Kelly's beloved New York Giants. And my hot take for the draft is even though they have 12 picks, I think tied for the most, they will not take a quarterback and rely on Eli Manning for one more year. As much as it pains me to say, and I think they should take a quarterback, I don't think they will.
0: David, I'm I'm right there with you. I, you. I see a lot of these mock drafts, and they have the Giants taking Daniel Jones at 17, or maybe trading up from the 17th pick to get Drew Locke in the tennis range, and going with a pass rusher at six. I'm of the opinion that you either take a you either trade up to get a quarterback, as in trade up from the sixth pick to get a quarterback, take him at sixth, or you do not take a quarterback at all. If you don't feel strong enough that Daniel Jones is going to be the guy. And you're willing to wait till he's on the board or off the board at 17 and you don't feel strong enough about him to take him at six. He's not your guy. So I think that's the first thing I want to say. And then the second thing to kind of back your point, I was listening to an interview with Dave Gettleman, who's the general manager of the Giants. Great guy. He was asked, what do you think of the Kansas City model? And he said, the Kansas City model, how about the Green Bay model where Aaron Rodgers falls into their lap and then Brett Favre plays for three more seasons and then Aaron Rodgers takes the reins from there. And so I think that's where his mindset's at. He's of the mind that Eli's got two or three years left and they either take his successor in this draft and you know I would love it to be Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, if he's there at six, he's absolutely not going to be, but I would take him in an instant. Um, and then the other thing, David, is you mentioned you don't think they're going to take a, a quarterback this year. If that were to be the case, and they were to have a poor season um, this coming year, which I'm not, I think there's actually a chance the Giants could be you know six and ten, seven and nine. And if they're in that range, most likely they're not going to have one of the top picks in the draft. But this coming draft class, you have Tua, Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, who probably should have come out this year. Um, Jacob Eason's another guy who he was he, he actually got beat out by Fromm at Georgia. But the quarterback class next year is loaded. And the year after that, you know, I'm a huge, huge Trevor Lawrence guy. Um, If you don't have the number one pick in that draft, that's that's not happening. But, you know, there are other options if they don't take a quarterback this year. But what I would say, if I were the Giants, you take a quarterback at six or you do not take a quarterback at all.
2: Yeah, when it comes to quarterback, there's no hey, you know, I could try to get a value pick. You just you just take him. Like if you feel good about him, you take him. If he's supposed to go in the second round, but you take him in the middle of the first round, you weren't going to have a chance to get him later anyways. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a that's a good point. The two I think the two teams when I was just kind of going through some of the stuff that really jump out and they're really polar opposites. The Seattle Seahawks, they've got four, only four picks in the draft this year, and they just paid Russell Wilson. So, I mean, they'll be a team that uh, it sounds like they want to trade down, have some flexibility. There's now rumors today that uh, their, their star defensive end, Frank Clark, might be traded maybe for a, a first-round pick or a second-round pick. So you got to get some picks because you got to start to build a little bit more through the draft if you're Seattle just because you can't pay anybody anymore. The money's gonna be a little tight. And then the other one we and Kelly you hit on it a, a little bit earlier. I mean the New England Patriots have twelve picks and they had two draft picks from last year that both got hurt. Uh, Isaiah Wynn and and Juwan Bentley and there's probably not 12 spots on the Patriots roster for them to pick rookies. So do they move up? Do they package some guys and try to move up, you know, into the teens to get one of these uh, defensive linemen that they want? Or do they go up even more for, you know, an, an elite playmaker? But, you know, you want to talk about teams that one's searching for draft picks and the other's probably trying to give them away. They've got so many. Those will be two teams that will probably be moving around uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this week.
0: Yeah, and Jeff, I think it's interesting that you bring up the Seahawks. Last year, they drafted Rashad Penny, a running back out of San Diego State, in the first round, and he didn't really work out. David, we, we saw the Giants take Saquon Barkley with a second overall pick, and while he was Rookie of the Year, there were still Giants fans upset that they didn't go after a quarterback. You know, the, the running back position has really just been kind of tossed to the curb a little bit. And I think, you know, they've been devalued to the point where you've got guys like, I mean, Bryce Love is, is a prospect in this year's draft. He tore his ACL on the final play of the season this year, and he had a better junior season than senior season where he ran for 2,100 yards and finished second in the Heisman. But, I mean, he's got to fit their sixth-round projection, and I understand there's durability concerns, but just because you can take an Elvin Kamara and a Kareem Hunt in the third round – doesn't mean all of a sudden that the running back position has absolutely no value and another guy that i absolutely love in this draft daryl henderson he's a running back from memphis he averaged nine yards per carry for the past two seasons and so yeah there are running backs like josh jacobs who are being discussed to go in the first round and that might be a reach i don't think these guys should be you know falling to the bottom half of of the draft in general and possibly going undrafted just because the running back position has become devalued. What do you you guys think about just the running back position as a whole and how it's viewed across the league?
2: I think that, I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because you want to get a good running back on your team and it, it helps out so much with developing the rest of the team. But I mean, it's been now three straight years that a rookie's come in and led the NFL in rushing. And then you kind of go down the list of, you know, some guys that were value picks, the the Joe Mixons uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals, Jordan Howard for the Bears now traded to the Eagles, Kareem Hunt led the, led the league in rushing uh, a couple years ago. You kind of go down the list and you're like, well, if I can spend a second, third, fourth, fifth round pick on a guy and I'm getting about the same production, even if you pick an elite running back, how much does that help your team? You guys are both Giants fans. I mean, yeah, you can give the ball to Saquon Barkley a lot and it, it you know, it's a lot of good plays, but at some point would you rather have maybe a running back that's a little less talented and a quarterback that you can uh that you can build around. So I think you see nowadays so many teams use multiple running backs anyways on a on a roster and heck cj anderson weighed 260 pounds was signed like week 16 and you know was the leading rusher for the rams in you know their playoff games i think teams are you better be a dude if you're if you're going to spend a first round pick on a on a running back nowadays
1: yeah kelly i i just think it's really interesting and going back to it to, to jeff's point is that teams use running backs in so many different ways there's teams that just have almost the Todd Gurley approach before CJ Anderson, where they give him the ball 20 times or the Saquon Barkley's or the Ezekiel Elliott's. And then you have the teams like the saints who have Ingram and Kamara and they, they just use so many different running backs that they're almost just pieces. They're just chess pieces in the offense. That I just, I just think it speaks to that. The reason why there's so much variance in where running backs are picked is that there is no sort of uniform approach to how teams value running backs. In the NFL, it's almost each coach, each front office, based on the team's offensive philosophy, values them in a lot of different ways. So when you listen to the Giants and Dave Gettleman talk about, I think he just calls them like the hog mollies and building them through the lines and running the ball. It makes sense that he would try and go get a guy like Barkley who could run the ball 20 times a game. And then you have a guy like Sean Payton down in New Orleans who is actually an offensive genius and uses Ingram and Kamara in so many different ways and they're so versatile that it makes sense that he's just looking for as many good ones as possible and not the absolute best. And I think that just because there is no uniform approach like the way everyone's like, well, you need to go and get a quarterback now. Every team is realized with that kind of philosophy. If we need, if we want a quarterback, he wants to trade up to get him. Each team kind of views running backs differently. So I think that's what leads to Guys who are picked third overall, and then another All Pro picked in the fourth or fifth round as well.
0: All right. So before we get to some of our final topics, who's the one guy? Jeff, we'll start with you. That you're just most intrigued by. You're not sure if you know he's going to boom or he's going to bust, and you're kind of you think he's got star potential, but you're not sure. And if you know you're one of these teams looking to to bet the house on a guy and swing for the fences and hopefully hit a home run. Who who's the guy you're looking at? Well, I'm going to give
2: the probably pretty boring answer, but can can you really pick anybody besides Kyler Murray when it talks about? I mean, it's about as boomer bust as it gets, and you're talking about picking him first overall instead of you know. I mean, you you hear some of these draft analysts talk so highly of Nick Bosa and Josh Allen and Quinnen Williams, but okay there's been no no quarterback under six feet tall drafted in the first three rounds in like forever, and now we're talking about picking him number one overall with a college coach that like david said had a sub five hundred record in college first time he's ever coached in the i mean it's just there's a lot there's a lot there he could be really really good i i mean i i see you go back and watch him there's days when he looks like a combination of Baker and Russell Wilson combine sometimes and then there's other times when people get nervous because it's kind of read half the field or just take off and run and it do you get some Lamar Jackson concerns there but man you want to talk about somebody if you're going to if you're going to go all in on somebody that's you know got some potential why not go with the You know, with with the super athlete, explosive, all all Kyler does is win games. I mean, it's like I know some people would laugh and say, "Well, Tim Tebow was the same way." But this is a guy that didn't didn't lose a game in high school, hardly lost at all when he was in college, and now could be stepping into an offense really built for him. It could be really good, or we could look back, it literally halfway through this season, if we see him play, and you could say, "Okay, well maybe." maybe the 5 foot 10 quarterback with the college coach wasn't the best fit but that's definitely the guy that's the storyline that's like hey get get me to week 1 so that we can see Kyler run around
1: yeah he's definitely the biggest boomer bust and i think that if you're drafting at the very top and you're betting a your franchise on you got to take someone a little more secure I love that defensive tackle from Alabama, Quinnen Williams. When you watch them play this year, he was a force. He was dominating in the SEC. He dominated the entire college football playoff. I think he is the best player. I think he's better than Ed Oliver. I think he's better than Gary. And I think he's up there with, with Bosa. So if I had to bet the house and bet my, the future of my franchise, I want a guy who's going to dominate on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that guy is Quinnen Williams.
0: Yeah, I think Quinnen Williams is probably one of the safer picks in the draft. You just know what he's going to be. Just a total disruptor in the middle of your defense. Kyler Murray, he's either going to take the league by storm or he's going to be playing for the Oakland A's in three years. I'm not sure which one it's going to be. I mean, I'll kind of go off the grid a little bit. The dude that I think has the potential to just hit and be a major star in the NFL but I'm not certain, which is why he's kind of my, my guy I'm looking at is Montez Sweat. This dude is 6'6", 260, and ran a 4'4 at the combine. There was there was one running back who ran faster than him. So this dude is an absolute freak show. And in college, he was somewhat productive. He had 23.5 sacks over the past two seasons. But he also played next to Jeffrey Simons, who would have been a first-round pick in his own right if he didn't tear his ACL. So I'm not really sure how many double teams Montez Sweat saw this season. I have a question for you guys. Totally unrelated. Over under 4.5 quarterbacks will be taken in the first round of the NFL draft on Thursday night. Just just for some context. Some of the guys in the discussion, Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, Will Greer. Ryan Finley, Clayton Thorson, Jared Stidham. Those are the top eight or so quarterback prospects in this year's class. If you had to bet the house one way or the other, are you taking over or under four and a half quarterbacks taken in the first round Thursday night?
1: I think I'm going to go with the under because I just don't know who that fifth guy is going to be. I definitely think Murray's going to go, Haskins is going to go, I think Locke will go, and I think Jones is the likeliest to be that fourth. I just don't know. I haven't read enough about the rumors coming about teams to take that fifth quarterback and get over that four and a half. So I'll say it'll it'll be four in the first round this year.
2: Yeah, that four and a half number is pretty tough because now you get into the, yeah, Will Greer, Jared Stidham, Ryan Finley, uh, you know, guys that definitely haven't been talked about as first round picks. But Late late in the first round, there's always teams that'll trade in to get a guy so that they can, you know, have the extra year on the contract and do all those kind of things. So if you're yeah, if, you know, if you're a team that passed on a quarterback in the first round and you want somebody to give him a five year deal, do you roll the dice and move up to take, you know, Will Greer, a guy that played in an offense that's now starting to be more of the norm in, in the NFL and throw the ball around, but yeah, probably. I would probably go with the under four and a half. Yeah, Dave, I mean, David hit it. You're probably looking at you're probably looking at four, and will some team freak out a little bit late late in the first round and, and trade up to take one of these guys. That's that's the question. And you guys both hit on I mean, next year's class is supposed to be really good. So now, if you're a team that do, and, and Kelly, you kind of hit on it. Do you? Well, do you reach on a quarterback when you could, yeah, be in the tank for Tua next year and you could, you know, be be involved in some of those things. You picked the wrong quarterback in the first round. It sets your franchise back years instead of, you know, you can miss on a left tackle, a running back, a corner. You invest something in Will Greer or somebody like that, and he doesn't turn out. Well now and now you're picking at the top of the draft for years to come and if you pick the wrong guy, then you might be looking for a new job if you swing and miss on, on one of the quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, I'm with both of you guys. I think Murray, Haskins, Locke, and Jones are pretty much you know locks to go in the first round, and then you're kind of gambling that one of the others might be chosen at the back end, but I, I don't really see that happening because I think, like you mentioned and we spoke about earlier, teams like the Dolphins that are kind of in no man's land in terms of draft position – they are either going to look to possibly trade for Josh Rosen or just kick the can down the road and be pretty bad this season, which for a team like Miami is not going to be very hard now that they shipped out Tannehill and are going to be starting Ryan Fitzpatrick. So that's that's definitely the viable strategy and kind of a, a route that I think uh, several teams will take. But so So let's kind of wrap up with this. Let's each give one bold prediction for Thursday night. David, shoot.
1: I think... Now, I already gave my bold prediction about the Giants not taking quarterback, but giving another one, I think that we will see the Oakland Raiders trade up to number one and take Kyler Murray. I think John Gruden, you know, doesn't really know what he's doing to begin with. He hired a guy who writes a blog and talks on TV about the draft, actually run the draft and Mike Mayock. So bold strategy. And Gruden is just, I think he's winging it, and he is very close to, I think he trades Mac, which didn't make any sense, and trade Amari Cooper, didn't make any sense, but now he's got these picks, and I don't think he knows what to do with them, so I think he's going to say, I, I like Kyler, he can run Spider-Y two Banana, and they're going to go get Kyler Murray at one. And I, I don't know if it's going to work or make any sense, but I think that's what he's going to do.
0: All right, so we, we didn't talk about this before. David, our bold predictions are very similar, and I'm going to kind of amend mine a little bit. I think the Cardinals are going to take Kyler Murray at one, and I think the Raiders are going to trade up to number two, swap with the 49ers, and I think I think John Gruden likes, likes himself some Drew Locke. I, I think Dwayne Haskins is going to stumble a little bit, and I think Drew Locke, we've seen John Gruden do some crazy things in the past, I think John Gruden is taking Drew Locke with the second overall pick.
2: That's a... You, you want, yeah, you won't talk about... It's one thing if the Raiders trade up, right? They've got the track record of, of yeah, trading up to go try to get somebody like that, but man, it, trading up for Drew Locke, and that's a guy that the draft community's kind of torn on. You guys went with teams up near the top of the draft, and I know I'm kind of sounding like a, a broken drum, but I think my bold prediction would be Belichick decides I got to move up and I got to get one of these big time defensive defensive playmaker or receiver if they're going to try to go all in on on Tom Brady the next couple years so I would see hey New England's got number 32 they've got two second round picks if one of these guys starts to uh, starts to fall Belichick decides to trade up because he's got too many picks and it's the first time in a long time that you'll see uh, New England move up to try to take somebody but Man, if, if either of your guys' predictions you know happens, it'll make uh, it'll make the, the first thirty 30, 45 minutes of Thursday night pretty wild. I'm not sure I'm going to
0: be right, but I, I wanted to be bold, and I think John Gruden's going to do something crazy. So, whether it's Drew Locke or Dwayne Haskins, I think John Gruden takes a quarterback because I don't think he, I don't think he's in love with Derek Carr.
2: Well and you got to move you know you're going to move the team to Las Vegas and if you're not sold on on Derek Carr it's kind of like what we talked about with Cliff Kingsbury you got to bet on your guy not somebody that was with the old staff so if Gruden's sitting there and he's nervous at all and they got to you know sell some seats in the new stadium you you know there's nothing better than putting a quarterback on the on the billboards across the city cuz it sells sells hope to a a city so instead of having but it's yeah I think Derek Carr's been pretty good when he's been healthy so it'll be that'd be interesting if that does happen
1: and there's no worse strategy in professional sports than making deals and getting players
0: to sell seats exactly all right let's let's put a bow on it jeff th- this was a lot of fun thank you so much for for coming on and joining us we really had a good time
2: i appreciate it i look forward to hopefully you know being being back on when, whenever you guys want but yeah, loved love some of the things that you guys have done on this podcast and I appreciate you, appreciate you guys letting me yeah, nerd out and you know, this is this is this is a podcast for the deep draft community. This isn't yeah, this isn't for, you know, your mom or dad that doesn't want to talk about, you know, third round D tackles and, and corners <laughs> and draft fits and stuff. But you no, know, you guys have you guys are doing a great job on this podcast. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, Jeff.
0: That'll do it for episode 19 of the Double Double. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes, five stars would be much appreciated. You can also be heard on Spotify and SoundCloud. If you have any feedback for the show, good, bad, or indifferent, it'd be great to hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter. Our handle is podcast. Or you can email us. Our email account for the show is double double four zero two at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening. Take care and make it a great day.